0: Is a podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, and the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please take a moment to leave us a review and follow us on whatever platform you are tuning in on. It really helps more folks find us and helps us to continue get this message out there. Also, don't forget to check out occultlondon.co.uk to subscribe. And if you're feeling extra supportive, consider backing us on Patreon. Or you can find us on Buy Me a Coffee. Every little bit goes a long way in keeping the show alive. A heartfelt thanks for your, all your kindness and support and to those who have already helped support us. Now let's dive into today's episode. In our last few episodes, we have been discussing the symbolism of the magical circle and the four quarters. We've already discussed the East and the west so in this episode i wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the magical symbolism of the southern quarter as we discussed in our previous episodes on the quarters the four cardinal directions have long captivated the imaginations of different cultures and spiritual traditions around the world and also have many different correspondences each direction from the east's ideas of dawn and new beginnings To the West, with its intuitive energies, possesses a profound metaphysical resonance. And among these, the South kind of emerges uniquely, blazing with fiery energy that really sort of speaks of passion, transformation, and the vigour of life itself. It's important to note, as we discussed in our previous episode on the Four Quarters that the current configuration of East for air, South for fire, West for water and North for earth is a relatively modern configuration as we see in numerous examples from different grimoires as well as other texts that follow a pattern where fire would be in the east based on astrological correspondences beginning with Aries for cardinal fire in the east, Capricorn for cardinal earth in the south Libra for Cardinal air in the west and Cancer for Cardinal Water in the north and there's also another system that is even older than the above um, that's also kind of important from the biblical and grimoire traditions that begins with the zodiacal sign of Leo and the first magnitude star which forms at its heart which is Regulus or Little King which some people have also considered to mark the beginning point of the zodiac as it rests upon the line of the elliptic. And then starting from that point, if you would draw a zodiacal chart with Leo in the east rather than Aries, then we would find the four fixed or caribic um, zodiacal signs in the four quarters, wherein a lot of days long ago uh, they would have marked the changing of the season, so you'd have Leo, the lion in the east, Taurus, the ox in the south, Aquarius the man in the west and then Scorpio uh, represented by the eagle in the north. But for the purposes of this discussion uh, I'm going to stick with the most common assignment which is as I said east for air, fire for for, uh, south, west for water and north for earth. The word south in English is derived from the old English word sooth and also in Hebrew the word darom which denotes both south and also the word for fire and if we look at it from a magical perspective the south becomes really a kind of symbol of passionate energy the essence of life and pulsating vitality this direction is deeply entwined with the element of fire a force that embodies both the warmth of passion and the peril of uncontrolled emotions it reminds us of the duality of life where the same fire that invigorates can also inflame anger and bring about destruction if it is not controlled. As William Gray writes in his excellent book Temple Magic, fire of course means light and illumination in all possible senses and it has only been our control over fire that raised us from primitive animal level to our present civilization. Our further control of this element on the inner levels is the only factor likely to raise us further towards divine status and it is controlled inwardly and outwardly by corresponding methods as with other elements fire must not be used excepting under suitable conditions and that's a quote from william gray aligned with the noon the south also represents the sun at its zenith so it's the highest point and this association with the sun which is obviously a beacon of warmth and sustenance for us on the earth, also underlines this South's connections with fire. Fire is more than just a mere flame. It signifies activity, strength, and the very life force that emboldens us to embrace new experiences with courage. It also possesses the transformative power to consume impurities, radiating light and ushering in purity. However, It must be remembered that just as fire can catalyse the regeneration of energy, turning negative into positive, it aids in a metaphorical way of burning away of outdated beliefs and habits and can also be destructive if not controlled. And This dual aspect of fire can be particularly seen in the Kabbalistic Tree of Life where we have the sphere of Netzach as kind of creative imagination fire. And then we also have Geburah as the more destructive, strengthening aspect of fire. Also, if we think about it from the point of view of the magical universe, the sun's journey culminates in the south, reaching its pinnacle in the heavens. So the south not only basks in the midday glory, but also heralds the vibrancy of summer, a season of maximal light and heat, as the quadrant of the circle linked with the element of fire Thus, the South epitomises this life force in its entirety. However, the South is not just about passionate love and you know, energy. It also signifies the ardour of battle. And one of its titles is Defence of the Light. And in many traditions, the sword, which is obviously an emblem of protection and courage and valour, is placed in this quarter. This sword symbolising not just the defence of the vulnerable but also mastery over one's own emotions and self. Thus the South teaches us the balance of protection whilst also reigning in our own inner storm. As with the other cardinal directions we explored, the cardinal direction of the South was also important and had different symbolism in many different cultures and religions. For example, in ancient Egypt, uh, the south held deep importance. In the Egyptian mythology and culture, this direction was closely tied with Ra, the dominant sun god, who was described in the pyramid texts as Lord of the Horizon, who rises each day to traverse the sky. Also in the southern area of Nubia, this was also closely related to the sun because that was where they used to actually mine gold. And this also reflects this idea of the the golden sun disk imagery, which is often tied to Ra. And one of the oldest maps known is of a gold mine in Nubia, which is the Turin papyrus map dating to 1160 BC. In Egypt, temples that face south were also believed to channel Ra's benevolence, drawing his warmth and divine favour upon the land. And there's lots of different prayers and invocations to Ra from the Egyptian texts that really emphasise the reverence Egyptians held for this deity. For example, from the Papyrus of Ani, we have a hymn to Ra which goes as follows. Hail thou Disc, thou Lord of rays, who risest on the horizon day by day. Shine thou with thy beams of light upon the face of Osiris Ani. Who is victorious for he singeth hymns of praise unto thee at dawn and maketh thee to set at eventide with words of adoration may the soul of osiris annie the triumphant one come forth with thee into heaven may he go forth in the martet boat may he come into port in the sectet boat and may he cleave his path among the never-resting stars in the heavens also in ancient greece the south has different meanings so the Greeks honoured the south with the god Notus, the south wind often portraying him as the god responsible for bringing the southerly rainy wind of late summer and autumn and there's a beautiful orphic hymn to Notus that goes as follows wide coursing gales whose lightly leaping feet with rapid wings the air's wet bosom beats. Approach benevolent, swift whirling powers with humid clouds the principles of flowers. For flowery clouds are portioned to your care to send on earth from all surrounding air. Bear blessed powers these holy rites attend, and fruitful rains on earth all parent send. The south wind and notice is also featured in the works and days of Hesiod, Um, being described as notice the moist south wind brings storms and again this emphasizes this role in seasonal changes also in greek legends aphrodite the goddess of love beauty and desire was said to have emerged from the foam of the southern sea and this kind of interesting story is also narrated in homer's odyssey connecting the south with kind of passion allure and vitality when it says the following from the sea's foam arose fair aphrodite and the winds bore her over the waves in ancient rome the romans also inherited aspects of the greek mythology and they revered the god auster who was their own personification of the southern wind and auster was more than just a breeze he was considered a potent entity bringing the burning warmth from the african deserts and within the different roman religious customs invoking auster was off, was common when they were seeking clear skies or the renewing of or the renewing of kind of warmth signaling signaling the spring's arrival and we see writings from virgil's aeneid that depict this intensity and unpredictability of Ulster, when he describes it as Ulster, who brings in his train the storms and the rain clouds. In the Celtic traditions as well, the Celts were obviously, you know, very deeply connected to nature and its rhythms, and they also viewed the South as a direction teeming with vitality and dynamism. And this perspective was especially pronounced obviously during things like the summer solstice when the sun would be at its most powerful and highest, and this astronomical event would be marked with different festivities, you know huge bonfires symbolizing the sun's might, um, and obviously hoping for a a good harvest in the future. If we look at Christian symbolism as well, the the South sometimes represents the location of the righteous or the chosen. So, for example, in Psalm 89, 12, it says, The North and the South, you have created them. And this denotes that all the directions and their energies are the creations of the God or the divine. However, there's also other meanings connected with the South in Christian texts, because other texts depicts the South as being a direction away from the divine, uh, marking it as a region of desolation or wilderness Um, and this might be the origin of such modern phrases as things went south you know to indicate something has gone wrong we get various examples in the Bible so you've got um, in Egypt for example the enemy of the Israelites is south in the promised land Um, Abraham travels south into the barren wilderness of Negev in Genesis And then in the New Testament we also get the Queen of the South will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. From a Kabbalistic perspective, the South is normally attributed to the element of fire so can be seen to correspond that to the Sephira that are ruled by that particular element. So normally this would be Netzach, Victory, or um, Geburah, which is Severity. Netzach is obviously the seventh Sephira on the Tree of Life, um, starting at the base of the pillar of Force, on the um, on the White Pillar, and Netzach really kind of represents this enduring power of the divine as well as this. Kind of persistence and perseverance of the human spirit as well as imagination. And it can be seen as like this sort of driving force behind our emotions, our passion, and art. As such, its association with the southern direction is quite fitting. On the other hand, the south is also associated by some groups and traditions with the sphere of Gebura, which is ruled by the planet Mars. And this kind of can be seen as indicating a more martial level of fire. Um, The god name of Gebur is Elohim Gebur. And this is used as a holy word when opening the quarter of the south as being representative of the mundane chakra, which is Mars. So while the fire of Netzach can be seen as more like the creativity of fire, um, the power of the fire of Geburah, can be seen more kind of in a destructive or protective aspect, or also kind of removing the dross from something that you don't want and smoothing it out. This dual aspect of the one hand creativity and vitality, and on the other hand severity and protection, can also be seen in the choice of magical tools of the quarter, which is in many traditions either the fire wand. So traditions like the Golden Dawn, for example, use the fire wand, or often it will be used as a sword. Personally, I prefer the the wand in the south, um, mainly because if you look at the look at the wands of the Golden Dawn, for example, the tip is designed uh, like the shape of a yod from the Hebrew alphabet. So if we think about the, the form of the tetragrammaton. We have yards for fire, hay for water, valve for air, and then hay for earth. So when we're doing exercises like the middle pillar, we're drawing fire down from heaven, creating a tube of energy all around us. We become a beam and a tube of pure energy and the energy and action and the willpower. Um, this idea is expressed quite well by Frata Ud um, when he says the following, and I quote, Picture the wand... As a sort of right hand of your own magical will, it embodies creation and action. While the cup is centripetal and feminine, the wand is centrifugal, moving away from centralization and male. When dipped in cold water, the hot wand will cause vaporization, thereby creating air. The wand is therefore power and driving force at the same time but also the power of control over itself and control over the universe. It creates, but the wand doesn't create entirely on its own. It needs the cup. Blind action without firm intuition is a waste of energy and life. The lingam, phallus wand, must unite with the yoni. Only the interaction between yin and yang can arouse the energy that leads to creation so we get this idea of the wand as being this creative tool and if you look at the tarot card of the magician from the rider wait you can see that he's holding this um, wand up in the air above above the table of the elements which you can kind of almost picture as being this kind of primal creative will uh, of bringing things into creation. From a magical perspective, uh, for example in groups and lodges etc, the officer of the south or the southern officer is often the person who would take on the form of a guardian as well, so they would normally be under the aegis of Michael the archangel, and is often responsible for the safety of everyone in the temple, both on a physical level and on an astral level also often acting as a thoroughfare which is consecrating the lodge with um, sacred incense. The south is also really important from the point of view of Freemasonry as it's the position where the junior Warden sits and this is one of the kind of primary officer roles that are aligned with the cardinal directions so you have the, the master in the east, the senior warden in the west and the junior warden in the south. And each of these positions correlates with a specific phase of the sun so rising setting and at zenith the junior warden's association with the south and the sun at the meridian is deliberate so just as the sun is at its highest point in the sky during the midday the junior warden's role really symbolizes the peak of one's energies illuminating the fullness of potential and also the height of one's abilities and faculties. The brightness of midday is also a reminder of clarity obviously and focus and the strength of purpose and whilst one of the junior wardens practical duties is obviously to call the brothers back from labour to refreshment and then back to labour, symbolically this transition between work and rest Provides a deeper teaching. It reminds Masons of the balance needed in life between duty and leisure, exertion and rejuvenation, and action and reflection. The South's association with introspection and self assessment in this context is fitting. Just as the sun casts the shortest shadow at noon, so too are masons really reminded to stand tall in their convictions and try to if possible minimize the darkness or the ignorance in their lives and engage in self-reflection you know knowledge of the self to ensure that they are on the right path. Also, as we heard about in our previous episode on the cardinal directions of the East and West, each of the quarters is also inhabited and ruled by a specific elemental being. and These are enigmatic beings that really embody the essence of their corresponding elements. And While these entities possess diverse and lots of different symbolic meanings, they can be almost thought of as being psychic facets of the elemental forces that really shape the cosmos or kind of like building blocks. In the south we have the elemental ruler which is King Jin and the elemental creatures are the salamanders. King Jin is often linked with dry deserts and fires and he is often depicted as a genie clad in silk trousers with a silk cummerbund and a sword and with long flowing hair which kind of appears to be made of fire itself. That can also be seen as almost like an explosion of energy bursting with light comprising of white heat and sparks vibrating a mass of living fire. As with the other quarters the elemental kings also have their own elementals that rule over and as I mentioned these are the salamanders and the salamanders are considered to be the spirits of fire. Their name originates from the cold-blooded lizards who spit out poison when defending themselves. And the salamanders, it's said, live in the hottest fire and lay their eggs in it. And at a cellular level, one can see them as almost like living in the cell's core. And it's their function to perform this burning process. The salamanders were traditionally visualized as amphibian-like so occasionally appearing as creatures resembling a dog as well in medieval illustrations. The name salamander stems from the Greek term salamandra uh, which we don't actually know the origin of that but some have speculated a connection to fireplaces. The first documented mention of the salamanders is in a text from the fourth century BCE by the Greek philosopher Aristotle but we don't unfortunately have a copy of that text but it's also been mentioned by Cicero in the nature of the gods and according to Cicero Aristotle's generation of animals also mentioned the salamander as being a creature immune to fires destructive force and he even claimed it could quench flames Centuries later, in his in his um, thirty seven volume Natural History, Pliny the Elder also described the salamanders as a creature so cold it could extinguish fire, much like ice. And this belief was also discussed by the Roman naturalist Alien in the third century in his De Natura Animalium. Also, St. Augustine referenced the salamander in his City of God during the 5th century CE, uh, presenting it as being proof that not all entities are consumed by fire, um, reinforcing this notion of the soul's kind of enduring eternal suffering in hellfire as well. The belief that salamanders could extinguish flames might also kind of hint at their inherent fiery nature. And the concept suggests that combating fire with fire could be the the best solution. And even Leonardo da Vinci also discussed this as well, proposing that salamanders consume by fire to rejuvenate their skin. And interestingly, salamanders, the actual amphibians, which are, are real things, often take refuge in decaying logs for hibernation. So... This perhaps might explain the legends of salamanders emerging from and disappearing into fire. Maybe the logs were accidentally put onto the fire after being disturbed. There's a really interesting account of the salamanders from Benvenuto Cellini, who was an Italian Renaissance artist and he wrote a book um, which was his autobiography which discusses an encounter with a salamander. And I quote When I was about five years old, my father happened to be in a basement chamber of our house in Florence, where they had been working, and where a good fire of oak logs was still burning. He had an instrument in his hand and was playing and singing alone before the fire. The weather was very cold. Happening to look into the fire, he spied in the middle of those burning flames. A little creature like a lizard that was sporting in the core of intensive coals. Becoming instantly aware of what the thing was, he had my sister and he called, pointing it out to us children. Gave me a great box on the ears which caused me to howl and weep with all my might. Then he pacified me good-humouredly and spoke as follows. My dear little boy, I am not striking you for any wrong that you have done, but only to make you remember that the lizard which you saw in the fire is a salamander, a creature which has never been seen by anyone, of whom we have credible information. So as you can see, that's a little account of this child, uh, Benvenuto Cellini, and his experience with the salamanders. We also see the salamanders talked about in Jewish scriptures, like the Talmud, where they suggest that anointment with salamanders' blood could render someone fire-resistant. Um, for example, in the Midrash, uh, Tankuma, it says, There are creatures that thrive in fire and not in air, like the salamander. How is it created when glassmakers leave a furnace continually light for seven days and seven nights? Out of the fire there emerges a creature that resembles a spider or a mouse. That creature is called the salamander. If you cover your arm or any limb with its blood, in that place will become impervious to fire. Also in the writings of St Isidore of Seville, 560-636, she also wrote, The salamander is so called because it is strong against fire, it fights against fire and alone amongst living things extinguishes them. So we can see a few different examples of that and it's also been featured in quite a few kind of modern um, popular culture things. So for example, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 um, where books were illegal. The fire trucks are called salamanders and it's also their official symbol. And also there's, a sim- there's an episode of The Simpsons where... Homer becomes the safety salamander and wears a salamander suit to educate kids about fire safety. So you can see this thread of like these elementals continuing on um, throughout the ages. The Archangel of the South, as well as fire and the sun, and also sometimes the planet Mercury, is the great Archangel Michael. Michael is a really powerful Archangel to work with and I encourage any of you listening if you haven't checked him out already um, he's a very good Archangel to to cultivate a relationship with and work with um, energy. Mikael is one of the most important Archangels and a, a real true warrior of light known as the leader of the armies of heaven who is often associated with war and protection but also healing or as a weigher of souls and provider of judgment he's often depicted in the form of a greek or a roman soldier with golden armor and deep red cloak flowing from the shoulders and a sword or a spear in his hand and he's normally in warlike poses you know defeating dragons um, or satan sometimes but sometimes interestingly he's also depicted as a, a weigher of souls at the last judgment and um i'm not sure whether anyone's been to glastonbury but there's a really interesting carving of him with scales on top of the chapel on glastonbury tour it's pretty faded because of the the wind um but you can just about make it out so if anyone's in the uk um, i would definitely recommend checking that out also if you want to find out more about Mikael, we did do an episode on him uh, a couple of years back now, so recommend listening to that episode because uh, there's lots more information about Mikael and how you can kind of work with him. As with the other quarters, uh, Michael is also in charge of an order of angels, who in this case are also the Beni Elohim. Another important aspect of the correspondences for the South is the corresponding four holy living creature for this quarter as we mentioned previously the four holy living creatures can be really seen as representing the highest aspect of that elemental quarter and the spiritual element of it and in the western mystery tradition as i mentioned this is represented by the sacred figures of the four holy living creatures or the Ha Quadesh, from the book of revelation And the Book of Ezekiel, which, when we pair them with the elemental quarters of the east, the south, the west, the north, represent that highest kind of archetypal, most powerful aspect of the element, and are also attributed to the divine emanations of Keter, which is obviously the highest sephira on the Tree of Life. These celestial beings as you mentioned before bear resemblances to the four evangelists in the bible and also take on the forms of the winged human the winged lion the eagle and the winged bull and the corresponding symbol for the southern quarter is the winged lion which is often attributed to mark the evangelist and being representative of the highest aspect of the element of fire but also linked with the idea of the lords of flame the winged lion can be thought of as being Almost like a formation of consciousness that has been derived from a previous formation of consciousness and can be visualised almost like the Big Bang or an explosion of energy that transforms into magnetism and which is then capable of forming interconnecting patterns. The term Lord of Flame, which I know some of you probably aren't quite sure what I'm talking about with that, um, this is actually a term that kind of originates with Dion Fortune in her book The Cosmic Doctrine Um, and The Cosmic Doctrine is it's a very interesting book to read but it's it's very heavy going and quite difficult to understand Um, but in this particular text the Lords can be seen as kind of different forces that describe how our solar system was built and the four holy living creatures can be considered to be created by different spiritual beings that help shape the universe deal fortune describes these beings into three groups which are the lords of flame form and mind the lords of flame can be considered almost like archangels and these are the ones that are attributed to the south the lords of form we can kind of think about them as being almost like planetary beings or intelligences or divas that's attributed to the north and they also have the lords of mind which are kind of special guides um, or possibly even gods discarnate teachers attributed to the west and then the lords of humanity which is kind of mankind perfected which we talked about in the east in deal fortunes world, the lords of flame are described almost like an easy way to describe them would almost be like they're like a a team of expert builders um, who kind of arrive at an empty building site and then they create intricate patterns and set the foundations so that all the future builders can easily follow and kind of build upon their work. So again this goes back to the idea of the south as being this uh, beginning, this explosion of energy that's kind of expanding out. The Lords of Flame are like fire itself, so they're directing the forces of nature in their most powerful aspects. And their work is described by Dion Fortune as follows. The first swarm is engaged solely with magnetic action and reaction and vibrations, and they are called in technical terms of occultism, the Lords of Flame. John Michael Greer has an excellent blog um, where he's written extensively about the cosmic doctrine. Um, So if anyone hasn't checked that out, I definitely would. I don't actually have the address to hand at the moment, but um, if you Google it, you should be able to find it. But he describes the Lords of Flame as follows. Let's begin with the angelic Lords of Flame, the first swarm of divine sparks to set out from the solar logos. And descend through the seven planes of the solar system. The Logos has dreamed into existence. The first swarm is made up of those atoms that became complex enough in our solar system, first phases of evolution to take part in the journey up and down the solar system's 12 rays. They are equivalents in the smaller scale of the solar system of the travelling atoms of the cosmos, one of whom is now the Solar Logos, the god of our solar system. So they come to the work of creating a solar system with much more experience and much more complexity than subsequent swarms. That's the first thing that sets the Lords of Flame apart. The second is that they begin their work when the solar system consists solely of the Solar logos and a cloud of atoms dancing around it. Dancing to the rhythms the Logos sets in motion. The sole influence on their evolution is the solar Logos. Later swarms also receive the influences of the planetary spirits. The Lords of Flame don't. Those are the things that make life easy for the Lords of Flames. The thing that makes them hard for them Is that they are the first. They go, if you will, where no divine spark has gone before. They have to build bodies out of the raw materials of the seventh plane, using atoms that have never before been organized into a body. Since atoms are nothing more than habitual tracks of motion, remember this means that the atoms have to be reshaped comprehensively to make their movement tracks fit the needs of a seventh plane body. They also have to work together to build the body of a planet on the Seventh Plane. Thus the Lords of Flame have their work cut out for them. When they arrive on each plane, they are surrounded by a mass of unorganised atoms. When they leave it, they leave behind a pattern of forces so intricately coordinated that all subsequent swarms are drawn into it and formed by it. To use a metaphor from esoteric masonry, They have the role of King Solomon of Israel setting out the fundamental patterns and proportions that subsequent workers will follow. So although that's quite a complicated quote, um, as we mentioned before, it's this idea of basically, you know, it's this instigating fiery energy which is going in and it's instigating, it's starting all the process of creation which will then enable rest of manifestation to take place so going back to our idea about the the fire wand representing the cosmic divine will this is 100% um, you know relevant from that perspective in terms of fire is the instigator the yod hey vau it's is the Yod of the tetragrammaton which is bringing through that power So, As we can see, the Winged Lion in the context of the Lord of Flame can be seen as a representation of the primal power of fire to begin things and initiate new energy into magical workings and the Winged Lion as a representation of the Lords of Flame really becomes a conduit through which we can tap into that highest aspect of that particular element. And then mediate and balance it through the lower aspects of the Archangels, the Angelic Orders, the Elementals, down onto the Material Plane. So all these symbols I'm talking about are different ways that you can uh, essentially connect with different levels of the the Elemental Quarter, rather than having one. You can connect with multiple um, levels. That's all we have time for in this episode. Um, However, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did in terms of writing it. As we've seen, there are many different facets to the Southern Quarter and lots of different ways that you can kind of work with it and think about it moving forward. As we discussed in our episode on magical symbols and the magical process... All of these symbols of archangels, angels, gods, goddesses, forms and symbols like the four holy living creatures, they're not fixed in stone. They are keys that can be used to bring through specific powers of that element. If these symbols do not connect with what your personal view of fire is or if you use a different system that's completely fine as well. The important thing is to work out what the element of fire means to you as an individual and if you can connect that personal view of fire, that interior interior knowing, that knowledge that you possess in your heart to the great archetypal ideas of fire then you can bring through just as much power as if you're summoning archangels and the four holy living creatures into your living room. As um, Vivian Crowley wrote, fire is within you and fire is without you. Fire that does not burn because you yourself are fire. You are the flame of life and the flame of life is you.